Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. From praising Alfie to Brady Kachuk and everything in between. If it matters to Sins fans, we're talking about it right here. And now, here's Steve Warren. All right, coming up today, an all-Canadian NHL division could be in jeopardy. We'll tell you why. Anthony Duclair finally finds a new NHL home, but, man, you got to think that based on reports, he left some serious dough on the table. Another edition of Dissecting Dorian as the GM updates the state of the hockey union in Ottawa. Those stories and much more today on the Sens Nation podcast. By the way, check us out at SensNationHockey.com. Please consider subscribing to the show, sharing it with other Sens fans who might enjoy it. It is Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Very good, Steve. And I am home in Ottawa in my lovely one-bedroom apartment. It's a wonderful time of year, but it's colder here than it was when I left Slave Lake. Wow. It's colder in the old 613 for the holidays than it would have been in Slave Lake, Alberta. (laughs) Well, well, I'm not saying it's not going to get colder in Slave Lake, but it was... It was really cold last night when I walked out of the airport here. Yeah. How was the flight? Oh, I got to tell you, I okay, I got on a plane in uh, Edmonton, like a 48-seater two-prop jobby that's going to fly me to Calgary, right? Mm-hmm. I, don't even, I don't even think the flight levels off. It just goes up and then it goes down. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was packed, absolutely full. I was shocked. I, I I was fully expecting flights to be like 50% full, you know, but it was fully, fully packed. I was shocked. Hmm. Well, yeah. everybody wants to get home for the holidays, I suppose. And uh, was it was it a nuisance COVID-wise? Have you got any instructions? I know you're <laughs> still in Canada and everything, but... Anything uh, that you had to deal with there? Nobody said anything. To, they told they told me on the plane. This was the the. Um, it's not a stewardess. It's a flight attendant. The flight attendant said that wearing your mask ensures uh, safety for everyone, or something like that. She used the word "ensures," like, like oh. okay, yeah, potential lawsuit for my estate when I die. The Air Canada lady told me that everything would be fine because I was wearing a mask. But you had to wear a mask that was mandatory, obviously. And they, they warned us that if you didn't, they, they would notify authorities who would be waiting for you at the gate when we arrived. Um, but other than that, uh, my first flight was uh, we had to get off the plane and get on another one because there was a technical issue. And I've watched way too many episodes of May Day. I was sitting there just scared out of my wits in my chair while they were telling us that there was a technical issue. But then we got off the plane, got on another one. I uh, got to Calgary probably 45 minutes late, and my uh, my wait time between flights was 45 minutes. So they held up the plane for, for the few of us that were going on. So I got onto another absolutely stuffed full plane of a bunch of people pissed off at us because we made them wait because we were late. And then I landed in Ottawa. Yeah. Well, good to have you home anyway. And, uh, and boy, that, that it does sort of set you up for, um, I don't know, yeah, like you say, I don't want to say lawsuit, but uh, as far as I know, the masks – do a great job of mitigating the COVID risk. That's the first time I've ever heard the word ensure. I mean, gas masks, maybe. They, maybe they ensure you uh, full <laughs> protection and everything. But yeah, that's a that's kind of interesting. But anyway, glad to have you back for the holidays. Uh, we should launch in. We've got lots to get to today. And I think the one that grabbed me the most, Greg, is, you know, because we're talking about this and that, but we still have to get this thing, speaking of COVID, off the ground you know, they've got these reported dates. They've got these reported alignments and, oh, an all-Canadian division. But the wild card here is the provincial uh, health officials that really are the ones that are going to have the final say in a lot of this. And according to TSN, there might now be an issue with the Canadian clubs and an all-Canadian division that might put that division in jeopardy because you got Canadian provincial public health officials who are they obviously they're going to do their due diligence. You know, if you're a hockey fan, you're probably saying oh, they're dragging their feet, but <laughs> yeah, they're doing their due diligence and we don't really know exactly how long that's going to take cuz they're obviously going to put public safety first, not pro hockey first. 
Yeah, but it, that's just the provincial. You you've got federal government to deal with. You got provincial. You got municipal. There's different rules and regulations and color coded zones and all that stuff across the country. I mean, you had to know this was an issue. It was an issue. You know, why did the Blue Jays play their season in Buffalo? Right. Mm-hmm. You you knew that this was a potential problem, and hopefully they can get it worked out. I guess they're. The, the terms that I didn't, I found it kind of interesting that they use the word that they're negotiating. I don't really think you're going to negotiate with the with the government health authority. These are the rules. This is what it's going to be. We're not going to say, okay, you you can have four more people in your bubble or whatever, right? Like the rules are the rules are the rules, and no no amount of negotiating is going to get them through. I think they just better hope that things get better health-wise in the next couple of weeks, right? I don't know what else they can do except wait for things to get better. Yeah. Negotiations. That's a funny verb yeah. to use. You're right. Like Dr. Vera Etches, like she's making all her decisions based on what is good for the public, what is going to mitigate any COVID risk. There is absolutely no entry into her mind, the thought of the sport of hockey. So yeah, that is a funny verb to be using, negotiating. And so what we're left with is, what happens if there is an all-Canadian division that lies in ruins? What would the game plan be then? Well, according to TSN, they're looking seriously at the concept of a hub, uh, and not just for the all-Canadian division. You may have to throw the Canadian teams in with the American teams and do some kind of a, a hub of some sort, a bubble, uh, maybe play like a 20-game span where everybody's in the same city for a long time. And there's even a possibility, though it's well down the line of possibilities, that all seven Canadian teams might go into Toronto Raptor mode. The Raptors are playing their games in Tampa Bay, and all seven Canadian NHL clubs may have to find new temporary American homes to make this thing work. So that's not out of the question either. What do you think of that? Yeah, that was Frank Saravelli saying that, that the seven of them may have to go find homes in the States. Like, like I just said, like the Blue Jays going to Buffalo. Uh, wow, wouldn't that be strange? Uh, but then again, it's 2020. Everything is strange. Um, I thought that uh, Pierre Lebrun had an inter- interesting point in follow-up in the whole conversation there, talking about maybe it's just the NHL trying to apply a little pressure and get this out there, and there might be some public pressure on health authorities. But the same thing as the word negotiate. Like, do you think this woman's going to be pressured into saying, ah, all right, fine, you can play, no problem, just because the public wants their hockey? It's just, it's silly. The whole thing is silly. Figure out the best, safest way for these human beings. Don't stop calling them hockey players, the human beings who need to go to work. Uh, figure out the safest way for them to work. And if there is no safe way, then too bad there isn't one. Maybe they do have to go to the States. You got to think as well, because things are changing every day. Like the virus isn't just, uh, you know, there and here's a static number of people that are being affected by right. it right now. Like this thing is evolving all the time. It's ebbing and flowing. And that with every one of those ebbs and flows, public health officials are changing their game plans and their strategies. And so whatever you're reporting right now could change uh, at a moment's notice. So it's not just the division's that are in jeopardy. I got to think that this January 13th start date before long, we're going to start looking at that and going, well, maybe it'll be later than we think still. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You want to talk about things changing every day. I was in the, the, the worst province in the country, two consecutive days. First I was in Alberta with the worst numbers. Now I'm in Ontario and boom, today, some ridiculously high numbers today as we record this. I weren't, weren't they over 2,500 today? just it's crazy mm-hmm. it's an ever changing situation the nhl has all sorts of plans in place i think that's probably why they've been uh, a little apprehensive about releasing what it is they're going to do because they probably don't know exactly which plan they're going to go with and you know things leak out as to this canadian division and the other four division the three divisions sorry and how they're going to go about it starting this date but it's a it's a moving target the whole thing is a moving target, and eventually maybe we'll get something. But it wouldn't surprise me, like you just said, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't even start till Feb 1 or even later, yeah. if at all. Yeah, who knows exactly what's going to happen. All right, let's change gears now. And Anthony Duclair in the news this week. Now Duclair in on green. Duclair in. Hold the round, scores! Another great goal by Duclair. 
That clip courtesy of TSN, Anthony Duclair with the goal and Duclair in the news, and not just this week, like here in the last hour, just as we're uh, saber rattling and getting ready for the show. I'm wondering, okay, we're going to talk about this week, and boom, Anthony Duclair uh, across the newswire, and he has signed on with the Florida Panthers. Now, remembering the rumors that were out there that Anthony Duclair was looking for something like a five-year deal worth $5 million per season with the Ottawa Senators. These many days later, Duclair finally has uh, found a job with the Florida Panthers. It's a one-year deal worth $1.75 million. What do you think? Wow. <laughs> you had the best comment of all, Steve. Maybe think about getting an agent next time. Like, wow. Yeah. That's that's something. The huh? first like, thing you, I you, thought of was that well, sorry to interrupt that, that when you when you bring up sorry. the agent factor, the first thing I thought of when I saw the signing and, and what it was worth, one year, $1.75 million, I thought of those TV ads for real estate agents, very pro real estate agent. You'd have the new home buyer and all of a sudden, a, you know, a drug cartel breaks into the couple's bedroom and they say, like, oh my God, because so didn't you know this was our turf? And they go, well, we didn't use an agent. And they all go, ooh. That's how I feel about Anthony Duclair not using an agent here. Ooh. That's a lot of money lost. Get on your YouTube and find a clip of that and splice it into this show. <laughs> but yeah, one point, but but still 1.75. He's doing better than a lot of those other guys who only got like one or 1.1 or 1.2. He got 1.75. Look out. And now I bet yeah. Mike Hoffman's nervous. He's good. He's definitely lost his job. <laughs> like what a what a world we're in for these poor players, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like at worst case scenario, he would have got three mil. Let's say worst case scenario, if he stayed in Ottawa, he probably would have got at least three million. Well, yeah, and he's still a guy that had some things to prove, and he found a place where the fans embraced him. He found a place where. He, you know, everything was fine with teammates. I mean, I was around the guy. I interviewed the guy this past February uh, at the CTC. Right. And there were like, I watched Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat go by and they were playfully chirping at him and he was chirping back. You could see that he felt really at home. And it's a real shame because the guy's been searching seemingly forever for a good NHL home. And, and, and more than that, a coach that believes in him. And DJ Smith did. Like the price of opportunity is worth something. And a good agent might have told him that. He'd like to think so. Somebody could have helped him. I, I, okay, do we really do we really know that that's what he was searching for? Or was he just searching for big bucks? Because if he was just searching for big bucks, then yeah, okay, I'm going to declare myself a free agent. I'm going to try to get big bucks. That's the way you would go. He just picked the wrong year to do it. You'd like to think that he really was just searching for a home with a coach that believed in him, uh, fan support, and a decent season, and a good spot in the lineup, and good minutes to play. And and in, and in that case, you had it, bud. I don't understand why you turned it down. Well, let me be clear. I don't think he was looking for those things. What I'm saying is he should have been looking for all oh, those he should things. Have been. And, okay, yeah. and, and not just the big bucks. I mean, the big bucks are great, but let's establish yourself as a, a really good NHL player. Like you crap out in Florida right now, and certainly there's a possibility of that for a, a guy who's a really streaky scorer, then you might not find anybody interested in you this time next year. So yeah, you could have signed a multi- yeah, you could have signed a multi-year deal in Ottawa, and that would have given you a little rope to work with. But uh, anyway, I, I just think that was just mishandled by Duclair, and I feel badly for him. I'm glad he's a good person. I'm glad he's found another opportunity, and I hope he makes the most of it. But man, I really think he made a mistake here in the way he handled things in Ottawa. Full agreement. Let us move on now to another episode of... Dissecting Dorian. Okay, that's stupid. See, that's high caliber jingle right there. It's what that is, huh? Yeah, Whatever millions. Uh, so, Sens GM Pierre Dorian uh, is uh, was on TSN 1200 this week with a uh, friend of the show, Steve Lloyd. Some of the things that uh, Dorian talked about: uh, Logan Brown is one of the most interesting guys on this team for me. When you're talking prospects, I know you like the guy, and I know you still have high hopes for him. Um, but I also understand those fans. 
who are kind of going, geez, I don't know about this guy who's drafted in 2016. What is this, his fifth training camp? Some people are losing faith. Dorian said that Logan Brown is probably the most talented prospect with the group up front, and he says it's up to him. Thoughts on that comment? Nothing new there. He has said that numerous times. Uh, I think it's almost a given, universally agreed upon, that he is the most skilled prospect up front. Uh, vision, size, uh, passing skills. Uh, yeah, he is the the most skilled guy up front. There's something missing. I don't know what it is, whether it's a void behind the left nipple or it's, it's uh, I don't know, there's something missing. And eventually we're going to find out what it is. The void behind the left nipple, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> yes. I love that. No, he, I, I don't know if I agree with the, t- the take that he's probably the most talented prospect with the group up front. I think that there are more talented guys who have not established themselves yet as NHLers. Guys like Josh Norris, guys like Drake Batherson, and certainly Tim Stutzla, who's oh, now yeah. I got to think is part of the prospect pool. But uh, I, I feel like this is a general manager – and this is hockey 101, right? This is a general manager that might be, you might be right. My feeling is that he might be just talking this guy up, filling him with confidence as we go into a training camp. Even if you don't believe that he's the most talented prospect for a guy who's been in four different training camps for the club and still trying to get to the NHL, that is the kind of thing you would yeah. say. Um, I, I Normally I would agree that, yeah, he needed some some love, he needed to know that he's wanted and that uh, the team appreciates him and thinks he's got some some uh, talent to bring and all that sort of stuff. But I also think that the fact that he's got a new agent, he let Andy Scott go about a month ago and switched over to to Jeff Jackson. You'll recall uh, Andy was on radio here in town uh, complaining that uh, Logan Brown wasn't getting enough opportunity. He wasn't when he was called up. He wasn't called up long enough. And other people were always called up ahead of him. And that may have made things difficult or more difficult for him uh, to to perform. Like that's something that's weighing on you as a player. So that's kind of off his chest now. Um, less pressure from that standpoint. Uh, now you've got a GM saying, yeah, he is the most talented guy here. Whether we agree with that or not, what the motivation was for Pierre Dorian to say it, who knows. But uh, if he truly believes that, then all right, it's time to show it. And that was the end of, we are dissecting Dorian. The end of the comment was, it's up to him, right? That's that's an important point to remember in there too. Absolutely. Uh, it's a tricky one. Um, I'll say this for full disclosure. I'm friendly with Andy Scott uh, and I have a lot of time for the guy. And uh, But the quote uh, that I think really, that was an eye, eye grabber, I grab her? Sure, why not? Um, He said, I can say with full confidence that I've never really seen another player, speaking of Logan Brown, his agent, seen another player met with such resistance by the team that drafted them early in the first round. And you mentioned some of the other things that were said. And there's part of me that if I'm Logan Brown, I appreciate my agent having my back like that. Um, But it's also the kind of thing that your employer might not appreciate. So, Greg, if you're to put yourself in Pierre Dorian's shoes, as we dissect Dorian, yes. um, what is your reaction when you hear the agent say that? Because this, I have two minds of it myself, in that Logan Brown makes Pierre Dorian look good if he becomes an excellent NHL player because they used a high asset on him, a first-rounder. But at the same time, you maybe don't want to be second-guessed by the player's representative. Yeah, I think at the same time, uh, Pierre Dorian can be made to look bad for using said pick on a player who doesn't work out. So the team has a development plan in place for the player, and they determined that it was best for him to be in Belleville. Remember, he had a lot of injuries, and I think they just wanted him to play and play a lot and play big minutes and contribute in all facets of the game and get comfortable as a pro playing every night like as the number one center in Belleville. And that's probably why he wasn't getting called up. Players who were getting called up were playing third and fourth line minutes, five, six minutes a night. That's not going to help a player you're trying to develop like, like Logan Brown was in that situation this time last season. So I, I, I understand again, 
different people have different sides of it. Uh, Andy Scott's doing the best to represent his player, and he wants his player to to be here and to shine. And uh, Pierre Dorian's got a different idea on what's best for him. That's all. So, does Logan Brown make the team? Given I know you're, I'm we've talked about this, yeah. But let's but let's reset because not everybody's heard every episode. Yes. Um, it, it is a two-way contract, right? He does not require waivers. So that plays right. into potentially the, the decision-making. Um, you're on record as saying you believe Logan Brown is a full-time Ottawa senator as of this season? Yeah, I because I, I they've... I don't, what's the right expression? I don't want to say they painted themselves into a corner, but in a way they have. Like, it's put up or shut up. The kid has to be in the lineup, has to be in the top six, I think. He's got to play every night. It's time, kid. Show up and show us what you've got. And if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Cut the cord, move on. But uh, I'm on record as saying, yeah, he will be here mainly because I think he has to be here. Because as you said, five years in the organization, it's time. Like, let's see it on the ice now. So moving on and uh, moving on with dissecting Dorian, he also said uh, in the TSN interview that he was pleased with the progress that Eric Brandstrom made in Switzerland. Just to reset, Brandstrom was the key player brought over in the Mark Stone trade last year. And Dorian said, we were very happy with Brandstrom's development and his progress. And he also called him a foundational player. No real surprises there. Do you think he's going to be a foundational player, though? (laughs) Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, Again, what is the best situation for Eric Brandstrom to be in for the 2021 season? Um, I I know we've read um, Trent... Trent Mann? I got to get the right man. Which one's the coach? Troy Mann is the coach. Troy Troy has said that he believes that Branstrom should be in Belleville to start this season, if not for the entire season. And uh, that that says something when the the coach of the farm club thinks the player should be on the farm club for another full year. Um, He does need development. Um, It's the easier way contract-wise to have him stay there, right? To play in Belleville this year. And mm-hmm. uh, that's probably where he's going to, where he's going to start the year, whether he finishes there or not. I don't know. Maybe it's a 25, 30 games. How many did, year, games did Carlson play that, that one year before they called him up and he was up? Oh, less since. than 20. Yeah. Maybe it's the same sort of thing with Branstrom. You've got, you've got guys here signed. You've got placeholders in place. So they're the guys that they, that they plan to go with over Branstrom and give them one more year down there and, especially if it works out with Logan Brown. Like if Logan Brown ends up to be, oh, wow, look, he, he really does belong here now. Look at him play. Then it makes it easier for you to say, yeah, okay, we're going to do the same thing that Branstrom watches. There's so much spin doctoring when you're a general manager in the NHL, when you come on and do one of these state of the hockey union addresses, right? I mean, Logan yeah. Brown, you know, you have a game plan for that guy. You have a game plan for everybody. And, and, the, and the dialogue that you use publicly uh, always gets back to the player. So you say things that most of the time I'm sure you believe, but you also will say things that have a desired effect. Uh, in the case of Eric Branstrom, words like foundational, we're thrilled with his development and his progress. I mean, there's also a, a dual game plan behind those types of comments. Oh, and yeah. that you want to feel the, feel the kid filled with confidence because if he doesn't work out, like if I talk to a hundred Ottawa Senator fans at this moment, Greg, and ask them about the Mark Stone dra- trade, or maybe the most disappointed you ever were with the Sens trade. Mark Stone is probably going to be on the lips of ninety fans. Agreed. Um, and and so this Brandstrom deal, if Brandstrom doesn't work out as a prospect, ugh, mm. that is not going to go over well with the fan base. Yeah, this is one you got to get right. And it was interesting you talked about how there's messaging and and what Pierre is saying is is a message to the player through the media. It's also a message to other teams in the league. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going more back to the comments on Logan Brown. Um, other teams in the league are listening, and you can't say, oh, you know, we're disappointed in him. He's been a bit of a failure for us. You can't say that, especially if you want to look at trying to trade him down the line. So you you, you have to not just pump up the player's tires. you got to pump up the player's skill level, reputation, whatever, so that if the day comes that you need to move them, you can, you can move them, right? And so hopefully get something for them. Man, that's a hard job when you think about it. Talking to the media, 
you know, and, and for, your, for Pierre Dorian, you know, English is a second language on top of that. His English is better than mine, <laughs> mind you. But I would say I, with all those, like there's a million things you got to think about. I, I would be terrible at that because I would just be brutally honest about everything, give people what I feel <laughs> about things. And then after the news conference, I'd constantly be going, oh, no, I really offended teammate X. Oh, no, I really devalued that player with, uh, you know, Carolina because they were talking to me last week. It, it's, it's, it's a million things you got to think about or what the owner has to say. You've got a volatile <laughs> owner who might be ready to second guess that anything that comes out of your mouth. What do you mean you did that? You told me this and blah, blah, blah. Oh, God, what a nightmare. But there are just as many guys who are blunt and honest as both coaches and GMs. Like Pat Quinn never pulled any punches. Uh, Brian Burke didn't. John Tortorella certainly doesn't. So I guess there's there's really there's two different ways to uh, to approach the media. The key, though, is that you've got to be consistent. If you're going to be the gruff, honest, tell-it-like-it-is guy sending direct messages to your players through the media, then that's the way you better always be. But if you're going to be the, uh, you know, nice guy, say nice things, try to pump up your players through the media, if you then try to be the rough, gruff, mean guy, that doesn't go over well. So uh, there's two different ways to approach it, and as long as you're consistent, I think it works for them. Either way, though, you're a temp. Whether you're a general <laughs> manager or a coach in the league, whether you're gruff or whether you're the nicest guy in the world, the the the, the players guy, uh, your your shelf life is obviously finite. What what's your best guess on things now here in 2020? What is like? Would you say like if I made you an NHL GM of a hockey team or an NHL head coach of a hockey team? You know, even if you had a good stretch or a bad stretch, whatever it is, like what's your expectation level? Because you look up and down, whether it's head coach or general manager, GMs obviously last longer because they can fire two or three head coaches before <laughs> the finger gets pointed at them. But how many years do you expect to be employed in the NHL, whether it's a manager or a coach? Well, I think your your average coaches, because so many guys get fired so quickly it's the the average is probably two years. Um, uh, it'd be nice if you could go three to five. I, the, the key is to be an assistant coach. <laughs> go somewhere, be an assistant coach who does a good job and you can stay there for a long time. GMs probably average, uh, what, maybe five years? Yeah. As you say, a GM can last a lot longer. It just depends on how many guys' ownership's going to let him go through before he's going to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe you're the problem. Yeah, my buddy Grant Brown, uh, who have uh, coach minor hockey with, great guy, lives out in Kempville. His brother is Newell Brown. Oh, yeah. And you look at that guy's track record as an assistant coach in the NHL. Never been a head coach. Nope. But there's always a spot for Newell Brown, it seems like, in the NHL. Like, he's been going at it steady and I've t- for like 25 years now, I think. Yeah. A guy like him, um, uh, uh, Kitchen, Mike Kitchen lasted a long time. Yeah, uh, we probably shouldn't mention him. Didn't he just run into some? He he's the latest guy who kicked somebody, isn't he? Um, Correct. But, but there's an assistant coach who lasts a lot. Perry Pern lasted a long time in a lot of places. Yes. Um, uh, other guys. It was uh, Mike Polino spent time with Mike Keenan and kind of went here, there, and everywhere with him and lasted a long time. Mike Johnston never made it as a head coach, but constantly had assistant coaching jobs between going back to coach junior teams, Donnie Hay, same sort of thing. Coach major junior, go be an NHL assistant, go back to junior. You know, you, you can, you can last a long time as an assistant coach. Uh, if you do a good job, uh, you, you'll last longer as an assistant coach doing a poor job than you will as a head coach. I shouldn't say doing a poor job. You can last longer as an assistant coach with poor results than you can as a head coach with poor results. How's that? Yeah. Well, uh, moving along in uh, in dissecting Dorian, um, here it is as we record this, Greg, Thursday, December 17th. So uh, 14-day quarantine, that would take you up to the projected start of Sen's training camp, New Year's Eve, December 31st. And Anders Nielsen is not only not in Ottawa, but Pierre Dorian says he has no updates health-wise on Anders Nielsen. I'm starting to think that the Sen's maybe. Um, forced to turn the page on this guy for the coming season. Oh, I, I hadn't we concluded that last week when we spoke? <laughs> I, I don't know that he's going to be uh, be available to them. Like as you say, there's and there's 37 players or 35 something like that players in town right now. 
I think you told me. 37. Yeah, 37 players in town right now. Like they're they're ready and itching to go. And Nielsen's not one of them. And who knows when he when he may be ready to play or may be ready to travel. Um, yeah, he's. I don't think he's going to be here for this season. Tim Stutzla is not here. He's obviously a busy man. And uh, I think anybody that's at the World Juniors right now, whether it is Jake Sanderson, Tyler Clevin, both North Dakota guys having some great success there and on Team USA now, uh, whether it's Roby Yarventia or who am I missing now? Am I missing anybody? Uh, so I think that's it. I think there's just the four. My point is is that uh, I don't think I don't think those other three guys are in the Sens' plans for the coming season. Uh, I'm certain of that. But Stutzla, on the other hand, is. Uh, Germany might be out by as early as January 2nd. So um, he'd have to do the uh, self-isolation before he joined the Sens. And is that a slam dunk for you now? Tim Stutzla definitely with the Sens this season? For sure. He's here. He will play here. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And, and January 2nd, that's the end of their round robin. Even if they advance, they lose their next game, like their first game in the playoff round. Uh, he's here. He's ready to go. Oh, I'm sorry, he has to. Will he have to isolate once he gets to Ottawa again? I don't think so because he'll be like me. He'll hop on a plane in Edmonton. He'll fly to Ottawa and be ready to go. 33 seconds left on the penalty. Kawaguchi cross ice. Pinto across the goal. Yes, sir. Shane Pinto. Another power play goal for North Dakota. So moving on, we mentioned North Dakota. They're 5-2-1, and one, and uh, they went through a little bit of a mini slump there after Clevin and Sanderson left for Team USA. They went on a run of two losses and a draw, but they've won two straight since then. And so again, a record of 5-2-1, and one, and Pinto has been brilliant. 12 points in eight games, and boy, you'd have to think that he might be in the plans, uh, well, for the start of next season. I would think so. He's he, he's a number three center written all over him at some point who may may elevate to a number two center. Um, yeah, those those are pretty good numbers. Like go look through the NCAA over the years. Even players that are superstars, rarely do you see a guy scoring like you know thirty points in fifteen games or something. Like twelve points in uh, in eight games is is very impressive. And that's a very good team in a good league, good competition. He's doing very well and looking real good. Yeah, the game last night that they won over St. Cloud State 4-3 in overtime, well, it was Shane Pinto out for the three-on-three overtime. Uh, Jordan Kawaguchi got the game-winning goal, wired one upstairs a few seconds in with Pinto charging hard to the net. Uh, As a coach, I mean, you got to look at that and say, well, he's clearly a go-to guy. I mean, the stats speak volumes but the little intangibles of three-on-three overtime, I want my guy out there. And Shane Pinto yeah. is clearly offensively Brad Berry's guy at North Dakota. For sure. And uh, yeah, and he, he he's done nothing but improve at every level over his career. Uh, just gotten better and better and better. Forced himself into the conversation to play for Team USA last year at the World Junior and was very good there. Uh, that, that's a good draft pick who's looking real good for the future. Yet, yet another one in the huge plethora of prospects that the senators have yeah i heard dean brown the sends play-by-play man talking this week about the sheer depth of the sends prospect cupboard and it really is kind of neat that for the first time there are other nhl gms mapping out their game plan and the ottawa senators are included in that somewhat in that if this guy or that guy doesn't have an NHL home. Maybe that's a guy we target. Like the guys, there's going to be some cast-offs from this team that will be of great interest to other NHL oh, yeah. clubs. And, and and in terms of prospect depth, it's been many years since that was the case. Yeah, like the second-tier prospects, let's say, okay? Are, are, let's include uh, a Schlappick, uh, Abramov, uh, maybe even Balsers, these guys are assets that other teams are going to look at and the Sens can take their time and make decisions and figure out who belongs where. And the, the day will come when it's time to make some trades in a deadline where, okay, you know, maybe we can make the playoffs this year and they will have the prospect depth 
to make those trades. Think of it like baseball when you see some of those crazy trades where it's like five prospects for that ace pitcher. Things like that, uh, that's the kind of landscape you're going to see in the NHL in these COVID times uh, moving forward. And maybe not this year at the trade deadline, but next season at the trade deadline, there could be uh, some interesting trades by the Senators. So North Dakota has a couple of games before Christmas, and then they shut it down for a bit. They'll be taking on Minnesota Duluth on December 19th, Miami on December 20th. And by the way, I've had a couple of people email me about how do I watch North Dakota play? They do have a pay site on nchc.tv. I think it's like, I want to say 30 bucks a month. Uh, and then you have unlimited uh, games in, in that conference, in the National That's Collegiate Hockey Conference. Yeah, not bad. And uh, with four Ottawa Senators, uh, if you're really uh, charged up about the future, then uh, you can keep an eye on things there. And of course, we got lots of junior hockey coming up uh, starting Christmas Day in Edmonton. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of the world juniors, uh, that is going to be a nice little break from a lack of meaningful hockey. And uh, it all fires up Christmas Day in Edmonton, as I mentioned. It's going to be bubble hockey, and they're going to use the same rules the NHL used to successfully keep COVID-19 at bay. That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? The whole Stanley Cup playoffs come and go, and there wasn't one positive test. That's pretty cool. Very, very impressive. And hopefully the World Junior goes off without a hitch as well. It'd be really, it's a short little tournament to have some team decimated with four or five kids getting it or something would really really put a damper on things. So hopefully they get through it with the same sort of success the NHL did. Yeah. Now the selection camp began like in November and it happened in Red Deer, Alberta and the COVID rules and the bubble rules, they were not as stringent there and they did have a small outbreak of COVID during selection camp. And that basically cost team Canada, uh, the only Ottawa Senator possibility in, in Ridley Gregg, he was the third first rounder in this year's draft, and he tested positive. He went through the 14 days quarantine and was ultimately deemed unfit to play. So uh, the Lone Sens prospect was out, but the Sens do have a pretty decent history at this tournament. And I came up you with a top five. It. I did. I did. Today, um, yeah. uh, I wrote in uh, Faces Magazine the top five Team Canada World Junior performances by an Ottawa Senator draft choice. That's a fairly fairly narrow top five and all that, but um, I'm I'm keen to hear if you can match up any of uh, of my top five. Well, I was you already, you've already read it though. I bet. Yeah, I have. But when you put okay. it to me, you put it to me. I I I was thinking, you know, Redden was there, but Redden was there before he'd been traded to the Senators. I thought about Chris Phillips, who did a good job, stalwart defensive defenseman, like he was for. 15 years in the NHL, but doesn't really put up any big numbers. Um, I thought of, but then I also thought of guys who, who weren't Canadian, right? And then I read your article and it was, it was all the Canadians. I was thinking about Mika Zibanejad scored a big uh, OT goal for Sweden at one point. Um, I, I, I know that Eric Carlson played right here in this building as a little skinny kid, but I'm not sure if he had been drafted by that point or not. Um, uh, the, the goalie, the other goalie, uh, Gustafson, but then he wasn't a senator at that time, was he? So No, but he was the best goalie in the tournament the yeah, year he played. Correct, but he was still Pittsburgh property at that time, right? Correct. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. The five guys, I, I, I would have had Stone one notch higher, I think. Um, but, well, go ahead. Who's, go ahead and give us your list. Well, I'll give it to you uh, in order. Yeah. In that I, I made Thomas Shabbat the best because he is the only defenseman to ever win the tournament MVP. Uh, He was in both 2016 and 2017. By comparison, kind of a non-factor in 2016, but just a beast in 2017 when he won the MVP. And uh, tremendous numbers. And uh, what was most impressive was playing almost 44 minutes in the final game in the shootout loss (laughs) against Team USA. 10 points in the tournament and uh, just terrific. Hopefully moving forward now, as he's about to start an eight-year contract worth $8 million a season, he'll get back to that offensive uh, mojo that he had two years ago because he had a real drop-off last year of like, I think he's down about 16 points, same number of games played, despite COVID, same number of games played, uh, and uh, was uh, quite a bit off offensively. 
and still some work to be done defensively. So hopefully he has a bounce back year as he starts off this very expensive new contract. Well, adjustments being made last year. I, uh, last year was was a one-off, I think. it was. They, they were playing around with how many minutes he should be playing and how who he needs to play with partner-wise. There was a lot of adjusting, new coaching staff, new system, new coach working with the defenseman. Um, there was adjustments going on, and I, I, you're right. It was it was a drop off, but nothing to be concerned with. He'll he'll be just fine down the road. At number two, I went with Curtis Lazar, uh, and I could have uh, easily gone with Mark Stone in that slot. So I, I see your thought about bumping Stone up a little bit. I was kind of uh, either or. Yeah. I gave it to Lazar because he was wearing the C for that tournament in 2015. He was also part of the 2014 club. Eight goals, eight assists, um, 16 points in 14 games, and a gold medal. And uh, unfortunately, he never amounted to a whole lot as an Ottawa Senator, but uh, that was a very good tournament for Curtis Lazar. And uh, on a very good team, by the way, Connor McDavid, Max Domi was on that team, Anthony Duclair. So that was a very quality team in 2015. It was, and unfortunately, it was the pinnacle of his career, although maybe maybe he's still got another peak to go, but... uh, I think that was probably the peak of his career right then and there. Then Mark Stone, as mentioned, 2012 was the year that he played at the World Junior Hockey Championship and a terrific diamond in the rough. Um, by the time he got to Team Canada, he was a known quantity because uh, he was drafted by the Sens in the sixth round, 178th overall in 2010. And so at that stage, he wasn't really on Team Canada's radar. And the Sens took him as a flyer, I'm sure. And from there, 229 points combined over the next two seasons in Brandon. So by the time the World Juniors rolled around, they knew they had a very good score. I don't know if they thought he'd be their leading scorer with 10 points in six games. And obviously a tremendous player for the Ottawa Senators as well. So Stone comes in at number three. And that was a great tournament. Did they they win gold? No, I think that they settled for bronze that year. Okay. Uh, it was he, him, and Strom, um, Huberdo. I think would have been that that year too, right? Mark Shifley. That would have been a very strong team. I just remember him being a, a guy they could count on who scored some big goals. And that was the beginnings of of seeing nobody can celebrate a goal like Mark Stone, right? Nobody yes. is as excited as he does. And my God, he was he was excited every goal he scored that tournament. He, he yeah, absolutely. Performance there. Drake Batherson comes in at number four. Kind of a Cy Young in that 2018 tournament when they won gold uh, in that he had seven goals and zero assists, <laughs> but he led the tournament with goals. And it's such a great story in that you think about how many guys have gone on to star at the World Junior Hockey Championship who were overlooked completely in their NHL draft year. Yeah, that's... You have guys there that are undrafted, but they're undrafted because their draft hasn't been held yet. To have a guy playing there and putting up the, those kind of numbers, uh, and he hadn't even been drafted, was very. And he, what was it? Seven goals? You said seven goals and one assist in seven games. Yeah, he had he had seven goals, yeah. zero assists, zero seven and zero. Oh. But similar yeah. to Stone, he was a guy who who they counted on for big goals, and he came through for them. Yeah, the Sens did draft him in 2017 in the tournament that he had uh, where he wins number four um, was in 2018. So he had already been drafted. It's just that usually anybody yeah. that's, uh, you know, you don't you don't get overlooked completely because you're going you're gonna to be surrounded by first rounders at this particular tournament. And uh, yeah, it's, it was just, it, it was kind of a funky thing, but he was a late bloomer, like just physically, uh, he had not had his growth spurt. So I think in he was passed over in major junior hockey, passed over in the NHL draft, but then went on the uh, complete growth spurt and then started grabbing everybody's attention. And uh, looks like, I think this is the year he becomes a full-time NHLer. For sure. Guaranteed. And then finally at number five, he could have been higher, uh, but uh, I guess there's a bit of a recency bias or, or lack thereof. Alexander Dagg. In 1993 and 1995, he was a big part of not one, but two gold medal winners. That was when we went on that nice run in the early 90s of five straight Canadian gold medals. And uh, interesting that he played in 93 and not 94. So in 93 and 95, well, the reason 
he had that kind of gap year because he was in the NHL at that stage. And a lockout. Ne- yeah, never expected to return to junior, but because of the lockout, he was returned to junior so that he could keep playing. And they said, well, you're still eligible age-wise. You might as well go to the World Juniors. And uh, boy, that, that was a dream team in 95 because you had a bunch of other NHL players who were in the same boat. And they just murdered everybody that year on their way to a gold medal. Yeah, there's fortunately, been- Dag never amounted to anything as an <laughs> NHL player. Not really. No, there's been two of those uh, lockout stacked team Canada teams. That was that was one of them. That was the first one, right? That was a stacked team. And and I I read your article. What's he's running a movie cinema or movie production company? What's he doing? A movie studio in Montreal. He oh, good for him. him. Yeah, good for him. Good, yeah. good guy and everything, and uh, not yeah. not a not a nice terrible hockey player. Not a, but I mean, when you have the first round pedigree and the hype around that guy, boy, that was that was Gretzky like, that was Connor McDavid like, whatever you want to say, and right. uh, such a great skater. Um, boy, that's uh, that was a shame that it worked out the way it did. It might have worked out differently too if if he enters the NHL today with his skating speed and the rules the way they are. He unfortunately. It was the, you know, and what's the reference you use to, for guys who aren't physical? You have some sort of play on words. It's pretty good. <laughs> got a wood allergy? Is that the one? <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's it. He, uh, but he, he was not. Wood. Yeah. Not physical in any way, shape or form. And he came along in the early 90s when the clutching grab was still very much in vogue. Agreed. Yes. And it, but he looked good in a nurse's uniform. Yes, he did. He very much did. All right, let's close it out today. Those are the uh, top five Ottawa Senator draft pick performances for Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships, which we look forward to uh, coming up. uh, Starts uh, a week from tomorrow. And we'll close it out with some goalie information. The first one has a Senator tie-in. and The Hamburglar has a new job. Andrew Hammond (laughs) has signed on with the Minnesota Wild and uh, we'll always have the memory of the Hamburglar run. And uh, nice guy. Good to see him find a gig. Probably it's going to be in the minors, but uh, providing a little depth for the Minnesota Wild. Well, yeah, but they're speaking of hamburgers. The guy that did the McDonald's uh, documentary there, he's their regular goalie. He's out, right? He's he's some sort of injury. So the Hamburglar might, might actually have a spot there, no? Alex Stalock is out indefinitely for the Wild right now. And so... That is a possibility, and uh, he'll make $700,000 at the NHL level, 200000 at the yeah. AHL level, and, and stay locks out indefinitely with an upper body injury. So, yeah, maybe a, um, a Band-Aid solution. Maybe he finds a spot as a backup. And goes on another hamburger. <laughs> okay. How ironic that we were talking about Curtis Lazar a few minutes ago, too. Yeah, yeah the guy who ate the hamburger. And we'll close it out with, uh, boy, that's some tough news. Uh, he's had a terrific career, so I wouldn't put it in the, uh, you know, truly terrible news because it's been a great run for Henrik Lundqvist. He goes from the Rangers after a career with New York uh, to the Washington Capitals, and he's all fired up for a new season and a new start in D.C., and he announces earlier today that he has to sit out the year with heart trouble. So unfortunate news, uh, but First things first, focus on health, see you at the Hall of Fame, and uh, you certainly have a, a career to be proud of no matter what happens from here. He's going to the Hall of Fame? I think he does. Okay. I mean, you don't? It's a conversation for another day. There's that big long list of goaltenders that everybody whines about, right? Mike Vernon and Curtis Joseph, and I can't even remember them all now, but there's four or five of them on a list there. I think Henrik Lundqvist just slides right into that list and waits his turn like everyone else. Mm, maybe not first yeah. ballot. I certainly like him for the Hall of Fame at some point, but we shall see. Yeah. Uh, let's close it out today. Birthday with Sen's birthdays. Yes. You have to uh, cue the music. Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first two right out of the gate are part of trades that we regret as Sen's fans. Oh, geez. Okay, go. Thirty-one years of Mike Hoffman. No, but that's that's part of it. Mikel Bodker, 31 years of age. Whether you like Mike Hoffman or not, you could have got more from him for him than Mikel Bodker. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He's is he only 31? Yep. Wow. And he is one slow guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's he, but yeah. but but it's funny. He's as far as 31 year old 
former Ottawa Senators that were part of trades that you regret. Yeah. He's only second place on this week's birthday list among 31-year-olds. <laughs> okay. Because Corey Conacher is 31. <laughs> good old Corey Conacher. Yeah, I don't know how good he was. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. We don't, we don't need to talk about that. No, the Flash of regret. one great year. Oh, what a terrible trade. Oh. Yeah, a couple of uh, other names. Uh, Corey Tillman. Stillman. Corey Stillman? Yeah, Corey yes, Stillman. Corey Stillman, yes. Yeah, uh, brought over from uh, Carolina. Only had a cup of coffee with the Sens. Part of that uh, Commodore, Corvo. Oh, yeah. There was another guy in there in that deal. And a nice, a nice offensive player. Had an above-average NHL career. And finally, a uh, local kid, Max Verano. Oh, yeah. 25 years of age today. Ottawa-born, Princeton grad. Tore it up back in the day with the Gloucester Rangers. And anytime I saw him uh, in an Ottawa Senator uniform, did some nice stuff out there. But uh, he's since been traded to the uh, Leafs organization. He's with the Marlies now. And he was traded for the rights to bring Aaron Luchuk back to the organization <laughs> that uh, originally, I don't know, signed him or drafted him, one of the two, but Luchuk back for another go of the Sens. Um, so Verano is 25 today. And probably going to end up playing for the Marlies. Yep. Verano in Toronto. At least it rhymes. Yeah. With that, we shall say happy birthday, everybody. And uh, I don't know. You feel you feeling a show next week? It is uh, going to be Christmas <laughs> well, Eve when we record. I can honestly tell you, I was thinking just yesterday going, what the hell are we going to talk about this week? And then you sent me the email with four or five things that had gone down. Maybe next week we could talk about the lawsuit and what's going All on right. with that. Maybe some of those things will happen. You never know. Yeah. And uh there might be some World Junior news. Uh, yeah. There's certainly going to be some NHL news between now and next week on the what the hell is happening with the coming season, and that includes, of course, the Ottawa Senators. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll pencil in a show for next week <laughs> on the schedule. With we reserve the right to maybe bail if we're uh, feeling like okay, yeah, it's Christmas Eve. I'm not going to. Anyway, exactly. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway. Uh, if we don't talk, have a, a happy holidays, everybody, and uh, great to have you back in town, Greg, and we'll talk to you next week. For sure. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for being with us on the Sins Nation podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help the nation grow, leave a positive rating or review. Share the show with other Sins fans. Become a Patreon member or subscribe for free and never miss a single episode. Until next time, go Sins go. Thank you.